Good morning. Welcome to Victory Life Church. We're so glad you're here with us to worship together. My name is Peter Knotts. I'm the youth and associate pastor here. And once again, we're so glad to worship with you together. Uh, at, our, at our church, we talk about join the story, live the story, tell the story. That is our mission. And of course, we're talking about the story that Jesus wants to write in each one of our lives and write uh, through our participation in his kingdom. And so we look forward to seeing uh, how he's going to further that mission in our church today. Well, it is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. Yeah, go ahead and give them a hand. We want to recognize our mothers, grandmothers, great mother great-grandmothers, surrogate mothers. We appreciate you. We appreciate the part that you play in our families and in God's kingdom. Uh, And speaking of uh, appreciating you, let's watch this video together as a tribute to our moms. Mothers are one of the most significant figures in our lives. From the moment we are born, they are there to nurture, comfort, and guide us through life. They are the ones who teach us our first words, who help us take our first steps, and who are always there to catch us when we fall. But the role of a mother goes far beyond simply raising a child. Mothers are the embodiment of selflessness, sacrifice, and unconditional love. They are often the ones who put their own needs and desires aside to ensure the happiness and well-being of their family. Mothers play many roles throughout their child's lives, from nurse and teacher to counselor and friend. They are the ones who kiss our bumps and bruises and who help us with our homework. They listen to our problems and offer guidance and support. They are there to celebrate our successes and offer a shoulder to cry on when things don't go as planned. The influence of a mother extends far beyond childhood. A mother's love and guidance shapes us into the people God has called us to be. They instill in us biblical values and morals that we carry with us throughout our lives. And even when we are grown, a mother's love and support never wavers. So let's take a moment to honor and thank all of the mothers out there who have done so much for us and who continue to do so every day. So let's go ahead and take that moment now. I want to invite any moms, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, or surrogate mothers to stand. Um, And if we could just give them a round of applause, we want to thank them and recognize them. All right. Well, we have roses for you as you leave the sanctuary today, moms. And once again, we appreciate you, appreciate the part that you play in our families and in God's kingdom. If you are new here today, I'd love to invite you to fill out one of our communication cards. You can find those on the backs of the seats in front of you. Uh, You can drop one of those off at our visitor center and they'll give you a free gift. We'd love to be able to follow up with you uh, and welcome you to our church. If you are worshiping online today, welcome to you as well. We're glad to have you. Uh, If you go to our website, vlchurch.com, you'll be able to find the new here banner up at the top and fill out the communication form there, and we would love to follow up with you as well. 
So just a few announcements to go over today. Our Mexico missions team would love to thank all of you who participated in our recent auction fundraiser. We raised over $6,000 for our Mexico missions team. So praise God for that. And we also have another fundraiser happening today. So we have some pies on sale. Uh, we would love to invite you to support the Mexico Missions team and celebrate Mother's Day with a pie from Bob Evans. We have those. Uh, they'll be available right after service. They'll be $12 a piece. We have triple berry and pumpkin. Um, and so we would love to invite you to continue to support them and also celebrate mothers in that way. So thanks for your support. We have a VBS coming up uh, for our children here at Victory Life, and it will be called Stellar Camp. So we are excited for that. It'll be June 5th through the 7th, um, and we're going to be learning about how to shine Jesus's light. Um, so that's just the same as what we've been talking about here in adult worship. Uh, so kids will be learning about that as well. Um, so we'd love to invite you to either sign up your children uh, in the lobby today or also sign up if you would like to volunteer to help out with Stellar Camp. And our last announcement is that we have the volunteer fair coming up next week. So the volunteer fair is a time for you to check out. If you're not already serving at Victory Life Church, we'd love to invite you to consider that. Um, so that will be in the South Sanctuary, uh, and you'll be able to see all the different opportunities there are to volunteer at our church. Um, so it'll be taking place right before first service, between first and second service, and then after second service. And we would love to have you come out there um, and see how you can use your gifts to serve the kingdom here at our church. Well, now is the part of our service where we worship through giving. Um, so certainly giving is part of our worship. There's many different ways that we worship and respond to God, and giving is one of those. So we appreciate the way that you support God's kingdom and his work through our church. You can give um, by texting, you can give online, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary today. So I want to invite you to stand now as we transition into the part of our service where we worship through singing, uh, and please join me in prayer. Lord, we know that your word says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. So we choose today to do that even now. We choose to acknowledge your lordship, to acknowledge you as savior and creator and sustainer. Lord, thank you for all the ways that you bless us. Lord, thank you for just being yourself. Thank you for all the ways that um, you teach us the, the best way to live. You teach us um, what you intended for us. So we worship you today, Lord. Pray that you would be glorified uh, in our worship. In your name we pray. Amen. Man, let's worship. <laughs> Our God and King, all living things will praise. From the ends of the earth, the saints will rise to sing. They'll sing from valleys low. 
east and shore. The call goes out, the people rise to sing. They'll sing. of our praise hallelujah god is good god is faithful he is always there he's always by our side so let's just continue to worship him this morning for all he's done let's bless him today and i search the world But it couldn't fill me A man's empty praise And treasures that fade Are never enough Then you came along And put me back together And every desire now satisfied here in your love let's tell him there's nothing better than him oh there's nothing better than you oh there's nothing better 
than you. You alone, Jesus. Let's just sing that one more time. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Let's continue to praise him and thank him for his goodness today.
Lord Jesus, there's a world full of people today who have forsaken their hope of your steadfast love. They've gone after the idols of wealth, gone after the idol of experiences, gone after the idol of leisure, after the idol of substances or sexuality. But Lord, we know that your steadfast love never ceases and that your mercies never come to an end we have obeyed your word today for the redeemed of the Lord are to say so so we say so today Lord you are good you are wonderful you are Savior you are Lord and we are thankful to know you For we have experienced a steadfast love. And we have been forgiven a multitude of sins. And we have been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So be magnified in this place, Lord Jesus. Be glorified by your people. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And have your way among us today. For we know you. And therefore we want to do your will. We thank you for this time in your presence today. May it continue and be sweet as you speak to us from your word. We ask these things in the powerful, wonderful, profitable name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. All right, young disciples, you may be dismissed at this time. You can head on down the hall, get a message on your level. The fruit of the Spirit is where you're headed.
we're heading to see a little bit more about a man with a pretty twisted spirit. His name is Jonah. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to them today because we're going to learn through the book of Jonah today to truly be changed. We can either go into the belly of a whale or maybe we just need to do church. We'll find out. I mentioned to you a number of months ago that I had a wonderful youth pastor and was part of a very successful youth ministry here, but when my youth pastor got here, I absolutely hated him, really despised him with all my heart, and I mentioned to you because he'd asked me awkward questions like, what are you reading in your Bible, or what's God saying to you or speaking to you? I thought those questions were, you know, off-putting. But he did something even more egregious, something that made me even more bitter, He got rid of game time. You see, I wanted to play dodgeball prior to youth group. I wanted to play knockout prior to youth group. And he got rid of all of that. And you know what he did? He replaced it, not with worship, but a second time of worship. We would have worship and song at the beginning of the service, and then he would preach, and then we'd worship again. What a jerk. Didn't he know that I'd come from school and needed to play dodgeball and I needed to to play knockout and I needed to, to, to get all hot and sweaty before church? I didn't know what was wrong with him. But as I recognized what he was doing years later, it's, it's, it's very clear. I, I said to him years later, I said, I hated you. You got rid of game time. And he said to me in his voice, he said, I, I only got you guys for an hour and a half. I needed every bit of it. That's the only time I got to see you during the week. But he also recognized something that was incredibly important. To have a change of heart, we needed to spend time in the presence of the Lord. And sometimes, coming in from the busyness of the day on a Wednesday night, we weren't ready to worship the Lord and be changed by his presence. So he would preach and he would teach and he would get us into a mode in which we were ready to receive from the presence of the Lord, and then we would worship again. I also couldn't stand him because for the first year he was here, he preached the same message almost every week. Yes, he'd take us to a different part of the scriptures, but we'd land in the same place. You need to invite your friends to church so they can hear about Jesus, and when your friends get their friends here to church, you need to be kind and loving to them so they'll want to come back and hear more about Jesus. Every week, we landed in the same place. Every week. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Pastor Matt, you have been preaching about shine your light for eight straight months. We learned how to shine our light from Jesus. We learned how to shine our light from Paul. And now you're talking to me about shining my light through not being like Jonah. Well, we're going to preach it till we all get it. Just like happened in that youth group, but... Something more happened in that youth group. It wasn't just the messages. It's what took place after the messages that led us to a place where we could change and actually shine our light and actually be ready to vow before the Lord that we would do what God had called us to do. We're going to see today that Jonah's going to get to the place where we all expected him to be three weeks ago, the belly of the whale. He's going to get into the belly of the great fish, whatever it's translated from in the Hebrew. He's going to get to the place where maybe you've heard about Jonah and the whale, and perhaps for your whole life. But what takes place in the belly of the whale is the change of heart that's eventually going to allow Jonah to shine his light to Nineveh, because that's what this story is all about anyhow. God has a heart of mercy. 
He wants to save Nineveh, and Jonah was having none of it, so he ran from him. God brought up a storm. Jonah said, the only way to get rid of this storm is to toss me overboard. And then Jonah gets to be lunch. Fish belly ceviche for Jonah. Well, today we're going to see how Jonah's change of heart took place and what took place in the belly of the fish, because I believe for you and I, if we want to shine our light, we need the same change of heart. He had to do church from the belly of the whale, but I believe we can do church here every Sunday and get ourselves prepared in the presence of the Lord to shine our light when we leave this place. What I'd like to do today is go back to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to back up into verse 15 and read the continuing action forward. And then if you look down in your Bible, you might see there's a great big poem between verse 2 of chapter 2 and verse 9 of chapter 2. Let's skip it to start. Let's just read the narrative to start, and then we'll go back and dissect the poem. Does that make sense? We're just going to read the narrative, the straight narrative, see what happens, and then we're going to go back and look at this poem that is so instructive as to what took place in Jonah's heart that he's eventually going to go shine his light in Nineveh. So here we go, chapter 1, verse 15. We're going to blow right into chapter 2, and then after verse 1, we're going to skip down to verse 10. All right, I'll go slow so we're all, we all stay together. All right, chapter 1, verse 15. So the mariners picked up, not not the Seattle mariners, the the sailors picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Remember this from last week? Then the sailors, the pagans, feared the Lord, that's Yahweh, Jonah's God, exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now skip down, verse 10 now. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited him out upon the dry land. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen a fish barf a man? I mean, that that would have been the coolest thing that any of us... Oh, gross, but you can't stop looking, right? Right up onto the beach. I just wanted to read that narrative for you so we make sure we know what the action of the story is. I felt like if we went into the poem in the heart change without seeing this action, we would miss some things. Now, we learn here that God's desire was not to take Jonah's life, was it? He wasn't trying to kill Jonah. Jonah was certain God was trying to kill him, remember? Toss me overboard, guys. Just throw me into the storm, That'll get God to allow this storm to cease. Heathen fatalism, no. God does not wish to take Jonah's life, but he does want Jonah's life. That's what's going on here. He wants Jonah's life. He wants Jonah to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, Lord. That's what he's after. And so the Bible says that the Lord appointed a fish. Some of you are like, God can't get me to do anything. God can get a fish to swallow a man. He can certainly get you to do something. He appointed a fish. He throws Jonah a great and utter curveball here. Remember, Jonah is woken up on the ship and asked to pray to his God from the pagan captain. He says, pray to your God. Maybe the God will help us. Jonah never prays. He says, the only thing that you should do is just toss me overboard and we'll go from there. Okay, we're going to see in just a moment, Jonah doesn't even pray when he's in the waves and the wind of that storm. That doesn't even get him to pray. All right, and what did we just see if we just read the narrative? Verse 2-1, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. 
Then look at verse 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Jonah sits there in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and then he prays to the Lord. Now, I'm just going to step over here because this is where I sidebar. Somewhere on some streaming service right now, you can read a scientific explanation of how Jonah was swallowed by a fish and breathed in the fish's belly. And I would encourage you to not watch that because that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. This is a miracle. Just let it be a miracle. This planet that's spinning right now and orbiting the sun is a miracle. Your DNA is a miracle. Uh, The feeding of the 5,000 was a miracle. The resurrection was a miracle. Can we just let this be a miracle, please? Just let it be. If God wanted to have a a heavenly goldfish on steroids uh, swallow Jonah, he could have because he's God. All right? Why do we need to explain scientifically the How do you breathe in the belly of a fish without God allowing you to breathe? You can't, right? It's a miracle. Just let it be a miracle. And the other thing that drives me nuts is people, well, how did he know he was in there for three days and three nights if it was dark? When you get vomited on the beach, you're going to ask two immediate questions to the first person you see. Where am I and what day is it? Therefore, you know you've been in there for three days. It's very simple. Let us not complicate the obvious. All right? Back to Jonah. The the instructive part here is verse 10. Jonah has been awakened on the ship three days and a few minutes earlier to pray. But it's three days until he prays to the Lord his God. That's very instructive. But we have to remember the setting. We read two times at the beginning of chapter 1 that Jonah had fled from the presence of the Lord. He was trying to get away from God. He was in full rebellion. He did not care about the 120,000 souls in Nineveh. He had no interest in seeing them saved. He had succumbed to heathen fatalism on the ship. He had just decided that he was going to die already. And if I may be so bold, if we just read it in its simplest form... Jonah, even though he was subjected to the belly of the fish, doesn't pray right away. And the poem's going to show us this. He doesn't pray when he hits the water. He doesn't think, perhaps, that he has the right to pray, would you? If you had physically run from God. Now, some of us have done this physically. We said to ourselves at some point in our life, I'm never going back to church for this reason or that. But Jonah's not just not going back to church to his home He doesn't go back to church, gets on a ship, and goes in the opposite direction that God wanted him to go so that God could never speak to him and not get to him. Of course, God is the king of the universe. He can get to him any way he wants. Isn't it interesting that this prophet of God, according to 2 Kings 14, this servant of the Lord, according to 2 Kings 14, takes all this time to pray for deliverance. It just shows us how twisted he was. He, he, he He was all twisted up. Not only will he rebel and not go to Nineveh to shine God's light there, he, he's, he's feeling like his relationship with God is toast. And, and he can't come back into the presence of the Lord. But then he comes to his senses. And let's go ahead and read this poem now. Now, the Hebrew writers are brilliant writers. They have a way of inserting a poem right into the middle of narrative to go back and show you the heart of the matter. 
This has been going on from the earliest books of the Bible, the, the first five books. You'll see poems or songs inserted, so the writer can go back and say, let me show you the heart behind what was going on now that you've seen the, the action of the narrative. So here's the heart. Chapter 2, verse 2. Jonah says, and this is a summary statement, then he's going to get into some chronology. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. The fish was not named Sheol. I'll explain that. And you heard my voice. He didn't name the fish. So that, that's the summary statement. He's going to go back to the moment he gets tossed off the ship in just a minute. But that's the summary statement. If I may be so bold, he, he might as well said, eventually I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. This, I muted my mic with my ring finger. This summary statement is an incredible summary statement because of what he says. He says, I was in the belly of Sheol, in the belly of Sheol. That's the Jewish equivalent of hell. A hollow place, a dark place, a wasting away place. If any of you have ever read the Psalms, you will have read multiple times references to Sheol. Of course, in the Greek, in the New Testament, we call this place Gehenna, which is a, a play on the Valley of Hinnom, where Jesus says to be away from God's presence for eternity is like being in the Valley of Hinnom, where we throw all the trash and the trash gets burned. That's the that's the wording behind the word hell or Gehenna. But, but here we have Sheol. That's how the, the Jewish folks understood it prior to Christ. A hollow place, a dark place, a gloomy place, a wasting away place. So what's, what's Jonah doing? He's, he's using a poetic play on words to say, I was in the belly of hell. Couldn't see. Couldn't really breathe. I can't imagine that the stomach contents of a large fish or anything that you want to be waiting in. It's in an awful place. And could it just be that the Lord appointed this fish to give Jonah a glimpse of what eternity without him would be like? I mean, God couldn't get that creative, could he? I mean, God's gone to extraordinary measures here to get a hold of Jonah. None of us are going to end up in the belly of a fish. But this story is instructive, and it, and it kind of gets us back to the, why is this written? Why did Jonah relay this story to someone or write this story for us? Why? Because he doesn't want his readers to go here, literally or figuratively. He doesn't want his readers to end up in this place or the person who wrote it about Jonah, who recounted the story, doesn't want us to end up in this place. It's a living hell. And this is where Jonah spent three days and three nights. Now let's back up to verse 3. Not back up, but go forward to verse 3. And we're, Jonah's going to sort of chronologically tell us what happened. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves... And your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Now all of that is weird. Who's been the one running from the presence of the Lord? 
Jonah. Who hurled Jonah into the sea? The sailors. Who does Jonah say hurled him into the sea? God. Right? God, you've been arranging this thing ever since I I got on the boat, haven't you? You cast me into the sea. And when I got in there, the sea didn't calm down for me. It did for the sailors. It didn't for me. Your billows, your waves, they poured over me. You were trying to teach me a lesson. You were allowing all of this to happen. And then I said to myself, nigh unto death, I am driven away from your sight. Did you hear that passive voice? I have been driven away from your sight. Jonah ran from the Lord, right? And now as he's going down in the deep, in these waters with waves crashing over him, he says, God is bringing this upon me. God is driving me from his sight to the point that I'm going to die. And then he says something that really doesn't make any sense. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. So he's saying, I'm drowning, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Now, we already know Jonah's despairing for his life. So what this means is not that Jonah's going to be able to, you know, Michael Phelps his way back to shore and then go straight to the temple. What this means is that somehow in eternity, the expectation is, I'll come into the presence of the Lord somehow. And you have to get yourself into the Israelite mindset. The, the, the unique thing about Israel, if you were to read the end of the book of Exodus and into the book of Leviticus, was that God was going to dwell with his people. His very presence would be with them And the place where his presence is most keenly felt is the temple. The temple is the place where God is. The temple is the place where God's presence is. And we also learn that the tabernacle or the temple, the tabernacle is the moving temple of God, the temple is the non-moving temple of God, okay? That's merely a shadow of God in heaven and his presence in heaven. So what Jonah is saying here is, My life is wasting away, I'm drowning, I'm going to die, but I'm really hopeful, I'm really hopeful that I'll get to come into the presence of God on the other side of this thing. It isn't that the way most of us hope, right? If your life is flashing before your eyes, you're hoping that you'll get to come into the presence of the Lord on the other side even though Jonah recognizes, I've been driven away from your presence. Now, some of you have in your Bibles right there, it says, how can I again look upon your temple? But it's the same general concept. At the moment of Jonah's death, quote, unquote, his death, he's thinking about being in the presence of God. He's thinking about that being the place he wants to be. So whether he doesn't actually hope that he's going to make it, or he does hope that he's going to make it, it's the same general concept. I'm hoping that I get to see your temple once more, in essence, come into your presence. That's what Jonah's thinking about as the waters closed in to take his life. Look at verse 5. He says, I was dying. The waters closed in to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Gross. Just gross. Has anybody ever got stuck in some seaweed? It's the grossest feeling ever, I guess, until you end up as fish belly ceviche. So that's gross. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land. So he's saying, I sunk for a while, whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you, O Lord, brought my life up from the pit. 
O Lord my God. How does life get brought up from the pit? By being swallowed. So, so he's going down into the deep. He's, he's, he's at the root of the mountains, at the, at the very base of the sea. So he, he sunk for a while, and then, right? He goes into the belly of the fish. Can I ask you something? Now remember, verse 2 is a summary statement. Now we're getting chronological. Has Jonah yet cried for mercy? Has Jonah yet prayed? The minute I hit the water, I'm screaming, Jesus, right? But that's not what Jonah's doing. Jonah is convinced that God is driving him from his sight and about to cause his death. And the question now is, at one point, at what point is Jonah in the belly of the whale going, I'm not quite dead yet? At what point is he sitting in there going, it's dark, but I'm here. Where am I? Gross. I think I'm in the belly of a fish. So twisted and so far from God is he. Three days and three nights until verse 7. Look at verse 7. When my life was fainting away, so he feels like now he's going to die in the belly of the fish, not because of the drowning. He's feeling like I'm going to die in here. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, where? Into your holy temple, into your presence, God. Now, that's a huge verse. That, that's, that, is the, that is the fulcrum on which this entire poem hinges. I remembered the Lord. Now, had Jonah forgotten that there was a God? What did he remember? What did he remember about God? He's going to say it in verse 8. Don't look yet. Don't look. Don't look. Stick with me. What did he remember? And, 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 and even more so, the fact that this rebellious, stinky, no good, downright of a man who can't even bring himself to pray for days in the belly of this whale, this fish, whatever it was, finally he prays and what happens to its, his prayer? It is accepted into the presence of God. God goes, yeah, I'll take it. Jonah's calling, been waiting for that, right? Remember those days when you had a landline, right? Mom, it's so-and-so. Somebody's Jonah's calling, and God says, I've been waiting for this one. Not, he hasn't called me in forever, Take a message. That's what you'd expect. That's, this is why this is the fulcrum here. Jonah is thinking that if he calls out to the Lord, God's going to instruct somebody at the temple gates to take a message. But God takes stinky, rebellious Jonah's prayer anyhow. Jonah cannot fathom that God would take his prayer. And that's why in verse 8 he says, those who, pay regard to fate, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What did Jonah remember about the Lord? His steadfast love. I have no right for my prayer to come into the temple. There is no reason that God should pick up the phone for me. 
But those who don't know my God, and even myself, I had forgotten that my God is a God of steadfast love, and I can send my prayers and come into his presence regardless of my sin. See, this had been his experience his entire life, right? How do you go into the temple? You go into the temple with a dove or a ram or a goat or a, or a bull. You go into the temple and make a sacrifice that says, I have no right to relationship with you, God. I shouldn't be able to come into your presence. But by the lifeblood of this animal, this precious, precious part of your creation, I acknowledge that my sin and my shame and my rebellion would not allow me to have relationship with you, but since I acknowledge that, you have condescended and humbled yourself, Lord, to allow me to spend time in your presence. That was Jonah's worship experience. That was the Jewish mindset. If they could make the proper sacrifices and keep themselves ritually clean because they realize that that, that the presence of God is no joke, and if they can come to God in holiness and righteousness to such a place where they can spend time in the presence of God, then they ought to be able to come to the presence of God. But what's the recourse for a man who has rebelled and sinned to this level? What's the recourse for a man who has rebelled and run from God because he was willing for 120,000 persons to die because he was so twisted? Can that man's prayer still be answered? Is that man still capable of receiving God's steadfast love? And the answer is yes. Because of who God is, not because of who Jonah is. And brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus has purchased for us by his cross. He became the once and for all sacrifice that we don't come into the presence of God by arriving at a temple, but the presence of God comes to us. In spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our running from the presence of the Lord. When Jesus died upon the cross, the temple curtain was torn in two. The place where the spirit of the God was set, spirit of God was said to have dwelled was now released into the world because Jesus has covered your sins and my sins and your rebellion and my rebellion to a place where regardless of where we stand with God, God's presence can be keenly felt and understood and enjoyed. That's what Jonah had forgotten. That he never went into the temple righteous. He never went into the temple in a state of perfection. It was God's humility and God's patience and God's steadfast love that allowed him to step foot into his presence in the first place. That's what he'd forgotten. And this is why Jonah says in verse 9, but I with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. In his prayer, he's looking forward to the day where he re-enters that temple. He realizes God doesn't want to take his life, that steadfast love has preserved his life. I'll come into the temple with thanksgiving. I'll be excited next time I sacrifice to you. It's not going to be cold, dead religion. I'll look forward to that day because your steadfast love allowed my prayer to come into your presence regardless of my sin and regardless of my rebellion. And when I get to that temple, I will vow and I will pay. Meaning I will make my commitments to you, Lord, and I will keep my commitments to you, Lord, because I'm recognizing in this moment, in the belly of this fish, salvation belongs to you. Jonah's heart is changed by what? The steadfast love of the Lord who loves him in spite of his sin and rebellion and will go to great lengths 
to bring Jonah back into alignment with him. He remembered that his God was a God of steadfast love. He doesn't serve some worthless idol, verse 8. He doesn't serve a mean-spirited or spited or capricious God. He thinks to himself, oh, what the pagans are missing. I serve a merciful God, a wonderful God. I serve a God who loves me. It was steadfast love that sent the storm, steadfast love that sent the fish, steadfast love that placed me in this living hell. Because relationship with God is the greatest thing that can be fathomed. And sadly, God has cherished his relationship with me more than I have cherished my relationship with him. God created Jonah to dwell in his presence and to do his will. And Jonah is surprised that he can still come into the presence of the Lord when he has done anything but God's will. See, for us to have a heart change, if we really want to do God's will, we have to be so believing in this gospel that Jonah believed in part before Christ even came. And I haven't even had time to unpack the idea that Jesus said to his own generation, the only sign that will be given to you is the sign of Jonah. Jesus equates his ministry, his death and resurrection, with this story right here. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah recognizes that salvation is the Lord because God is a God of steadfast love. And regardless of his sin and rebellion, he can come into the presence of the Lord. That's what changes people. When you come into the presence of the Lord and God deals with you in his steadfast love and his mercy, boy, did we just sing it, your kindness leads me to repentance. Your goodness draws me to your side. Those aren't just words in a song. They are experiences that we are to have. That is the, 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 the human experience that needs to take place for God to get a hold of us. And hopefully, God doesn't get a hold of us when we get tossed overboard. Or when we've gone through a living hell, hopefully God can get a hold of us before that when we say, I have no right to come into your presence, but because of Jesus and his steadfast love, I can come into the presence of God anytime I want and experience that steadfast love which changes me. And when I've experienced it and when I've worshipped you and I've spent time in your presence, I will make my vows unto you. And when I've made my vows unto you, I'm going to pay them. Jonah describes church. I'm going to come into the temple with thanksgiving. I'm going to make my sacrifices before you, and then I'm going to make my vows to you, and then I'm going to leave that place and fulfill them. He perfectly describes why we gather to spend time in the presence of the Lord. Thankfully for our relationship with him, in order that we might be changed, do what he wants, vow unto him, and then fulfill those vows. Jonah finally got it. And here you are, on a comfortable chair, in a temperature-controlled sanctuary, with a brilliant and handsome preacher. 
just serving you the same thing that Jonah was served on a platter of fish belly. Right now. Right now. I don't think I'm brilliant, but I do think I'm handsome. God is calling you by his steadfast love to recognize what a gift his presence is. Do you cherish his presence? Because it's his presence that's going to change you. Not my preaching, I assure you. His presence in the word, through the preached word, can, can lead to that change. It can lead to that change. But Jonah didn't even need anybody to preach to him. He preached to himself. He already knew the truth. He just had to remember God. He had to remember what had already been preached. That's what Jonah needed. He says, the next time I come into your temple, I'm coming with thanksgiving. That's why we worship, folks. We we worship because of Christ's sacrifice, because the Lord inhabits the praises of his people, and it sets us up for a heart change so that we can do the will of the Lord. That's what this whole thing is about. My youth pastor wasn't all wet. We went back into worship because we needed to vow before the Lord, but we really needed a heart change to take place if we were going to do what God had called us to do. Jonah needed to have that heart change take place by recognizing that he could come into the presence of the Lord and his prayers could come into the presence of the Lord And when he could physically return to the presence of the Lord, he was going to do so rightly with thanksgiving because that's what would change him and make him new. And that's what was going to get him to Nineveh. See, I already told you the story. Jonah goes to Nineveh. We'll be there next week. Jonah goes. The heart change happens. What he vows, he pays. See, God's steadfast love was not just for Jonah. God's steadfast love was for Jonah's mission field. God's steadfast love is not just for you, but as you seek change in the presence of God, his steadfast love is for your mission field, the place that you are supposed to shine your light. He pursues us for us, and he pursues us for others. He hears our prayers for us, so that we will then go to others. He convinces us of his steadfast love and his salvation so that we will tell others of it. Will you allow him to do it once more? Will you allow him to do it once more? He did it for you once, twice, maybe hundreds of times. Will you allow him to speak to you again? Will you desire his presence the way Jonah did when the waves and the billows crashed over him. We're going to sing and worship the Lord for a few minutes today, not because I need you to do anything for me. I I care what you do insofar as the Lord cares what you do, but it's not because I'm trying to institute something where we always worship at the end of service, and that's what we got to do so we can be changed. No, I just want to remind you why we're here to remind ourselves of the steadfast love and the mercy and to spend time in the presence of the Lord that that change would overflow into a place where the steadfast love and the mercy of God would flow out of us when we leave here. That's why we worship. Is God worthy of your worship? Is he worthy of your praise? Has he saved you? Are you redeemed? Have you been made new? Do you serve a God that's worth serving? 
Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Jonah remembered who his Lord was, and we need to as well. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Oh, Lord, would you restore and renew our passion for you, for your presence, a steadfast love that allows us to come into that presence regardless of our sin, regardless of our rebellion, regardless of, I'll call it my stupidity, regardless of of wherever we've been, regardless of our hardened hearts, regardless of our prayerless state, would you remind us that your presence is still accessible because of Jesus and your love for us is eternal and that you never leave us or forsake us, that the world needs people convinced that you never leave us or forsake us, that you need people who are certain of your steadfast love, that you need people who have spent time in your presence and know you are a prayer answering God so that when we step out of this place, we'll expect the prayers of others to be answered and salvation to be waiting in the wings. Oh, Lord, would you remind us of all the things that we're here for? It's not about programs or morality. It's not about values and right and wrong. It's about the Lord and his call upon our life. May the presence of the Lord be our guide and our peace. May the presence of the Lord be our pursuit and our aim, that what we vow we will pay, And a spirit of thanksgiving will overflow from us that overflows into a lost and a dying world. Would you change us, Lord? Would you change us, Lord? The steadfast love. Would you sing it with us? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to AJ, thank you for leading us in that song. I'm just going to ask you to sing or speak your song of thanksgiving to the Lord before you leave this place. Think of that moment where he redeemed your life from the pit. Think of those times where he has given you good when the world or persons would have given you evil. Think about his great forgiveness. And as AJ plays, just softly, would you worship him in spirit and in truth right now?
Lord Jesus, we thank you for making yourself known to us. Thank you for your steadfast love. We pray that what we vow, we will pay as we continue to seek your presence. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you are able, will you stand with us? As a takeaway today, I encourage you, when you come into this place next week, before you walk in those doors, tell the Lord you're ready for a heart change. Tell the Lord you're ready for a time in his presence. Yeah, you can still shake hands and tell jokes, but remind him what you're really here for, because he will change you, and he will make you new. God bless you.